0: Strengthen your immune system with Goldman Laboratories Liposomal Vitamin C
1: and get 10% off. Quote 10 off at GoldmanLaboratories.com. Hi, this is Steve Roost and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. The companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. My name is Steve Roost and each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews with the leaders, clinicians and CEOs who are shaping the health tech revolution in the UK and beyond. I'm a founder and CEO of a health tech company myself and I'm passionate about the people and companies who are changing the world. Before I introduce today's guest, I'd like to remind everyone listening to follow us on the socials. It's at health tech hour. And please follow the station, which is at UK Health Radio to stay on top of all of the great content that's coming up. Today's guest, Dr. Kate Bunyan, is the Chief Clinical Innovation Officer for Dr. Care Anywhere, which is one of the UK's leading digital health providers. It offers a range of services such as virtual GP appointments and digital prescription services. In the last 12 months alone, they've seen nearly a 400% increase in their virtual GP service and Dr. Care Anywhere is available to over 2 million people in the UK just through its strategic relationships with AXA, HCA and Nuffield. They recently IPO'd and have prioritized the launch of a mental health service to complement their physical health services. Kate herself has been a qualified doctor for her entire career and brings a wealth of medical and commercial expertise to Dr. Care Anywhere, including a stint as a ship's doctor on a cruise liner, which I'm sure has got a few stories there, probably. Um, So as a founder of a health tech company myself, Uh, Dr. Care Anywhere really are a UK UK health tech success story, someone that I personally look up to. I'm following on from last week's show with Dr. Nick Taylor from Unmind. I'm really excited to hear about how Dr. Care Anywhere are blending the provision of mental and physical care together. So Kate, welcome to the show. How are you?
0: I'm very well, Steve. Thanks very much for having
1: me. Good to to have you on. I ask everyone at the moment, I know everything's kind of unlocking slowly, but how has the mood been in the camp at Dr. Care Anywhere over the last kind of you know, period of time?
0: I think the mood is optimistic. Um, I think, as I'm sure we'll talk about in more detail coming up, we have been busy and, and busy yeah. takes its toll. Busy in lockdown, I think, has been difficult for a lot of people. Uh, being away from your colleagues, being based from home, juggling so many things. Um, but we put lots in place as an organisation to try and, and promote the team, promote the culture in, in the group. And so being able to start opening up the office again, like encouraging people to come back together, I think is really starting to, to lift people's spirits. So Good. I think uh, optimistic.
1: Good. And are you finding that people are wanting to come back into the office? Is that that socialisation aspect is important?
0: Definitely. So we're, we're seeing a mixed bag in terms of the way people might want to use the office, but definitely that people want the opportunity to be able to come back to be together, to, to physically work together and, and sort of bounce ideas around collaborate and do the things that you just find so much more difficult when you've got to plan a meeting and book it in with people as we're yeah. all doing when we're doing it through zoom but um, but definitely not a big desire for everybody to be back every day in the office so i think like many companies we're going to see a real shift into flexible use of office space and, and flexible working from home
1: yeah i think that that i would agree and it, it makes a lot of sense so the show itself is in three parts as regular listeners will know so the first part is origins Um, you know, how you came to be doing all of the amazing things that you're doing, both yourself and and also Dr. Care Anywhere. Then the middle bit is around all of the incredible stuff that Dr. Care Anywhere is doing. And then the final piece is around what what does the future hold, um, both for you and also potentially we can kick around a few kind of topics of the day. Um, So let's start with how how did you start out on your journey um, in life after university? So what was your kind of first start career wise? Uh,
0: So... My career, when I look back, I can, I can see the thread that weaves my career together. Looking forward through for each of the jobs that I took, it all feels a little bit like I just took the opportunities coming. But I had a very traditional uh, upbringing, if you like, through medicine. I finished my medical degree. I went straight into my, my house jobs. I did the standard medicine and surgery house jobs. And then I decided I wanted to be a surgeon. So I went okay. and did some time in A&E uh, and then moved into doing surgical training. And as part of that, I started doing a lot more work in pre-hospital medicine. So exploring trauma, um, particularly focused around motorsports, which has been a a lifelong passion for me. So I started to get involved in that kind of thing. Uh, And then the light dawned and I decided that that surgery probably wasn't the career for me, but probably emergency medicine was. So I, I moved out into emergency medicine, did some time in anaesthetics and intensive care to round out my skills around that critical illness piece. Um, and then just life events coincided and I decided it was it was an opportunity to do something a bit different. Um, and so I ran away to sea. Uh, yeah. I ran away, I joined cruise ships um, and had a hugely enjoyable time working on board ships, travelling all the different oceans of the world, working in some amazing places and, and seeing some phenomenal sights and and uh, on a different show, we might have
1: a whole host of stories <laughs> that we can share. But um, Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's before the watershed. So I don't want to go like, I don't want to, you know, go too far into it. But when you were a junior doctor, we, to, to the point around your thread, when you were a junior doctor, what did you foresee your, your path being like? Presumably junior doctor was the bit where you talked about where you did your rotations and things like that.
0: That's right. What and was and I was, my, my looking forward was going to be very traditional. I, I envisaged that I would... Uh, you know, go through training. I'd become a consultant in something and I would settle down and, and do what every, every other good junior doctor does and, and just tread the path. But okay. um, I was really fortunate to have an opportunity to step out of that. Um, and that really opened my eyes as to just how versatile a medical degree is, just what you right. can get involved in, how broad medicine is, just how many different opportunities there are to get involved with. Taking the core skill that I wanted to use, helping people, Mm-hmm. Uh, and actually, making a difference to people, and along the way in doing some stuff uh, around event medicine and other areas, I started to to really get a love of being able to take medicine and, and medical care to, to where people are at. Okay, uh, and I think that's where I start to see the thread join together with event mm-hmm. medicine. Then working on board cruise ships, treating people when they're on holiday or when they're working in a different environment, mm. and then I move from that it, back into work back shoreside. And became medical director for Carnegie UK, so P&O and Cunard, uh, yeah. and again developing more of that track around medical leadership, but also about how you give great care to people where people need it, rather than expecting people to fall into line and take care from where we've organised it.
1: Yeah, uh, the more, so yeah, the, yeah. The more looking like,
0: forward, yeah. very much it was going to be the standard route. Looking back, less standard maybe. Yeah,
1: exactly. So when you um, w- with the with the cruise ship opportunity which which seems to be somewhat of a a, well um not turning point might not be the wrong word but sort of a a decision point really what was um was had you known anyone that had trodden that path before had you or did you just literally just take a flyer and you thought uh, why not sort of thing
0: yeah i saw the advert for the job um in the career pages of, of the bmj uh, there was a, an open day going to be hosted on Queen Mary 2, an amazing ship. On the, on the QE2? On the QM2, wow. yeah. Largest ocean liner in the world. Um, and it was in Southampton. It was on a Saturday. I didn't need to tell anybody. I didn't need the day off work. Oh, I went down uh, to see what it was about, and uh, I was hooked. Um, right. the, the nature of the facilities on board, the type of work I could get involved in, the environment, the life, it just... It came along at the right time for me, and and, uh, and it was a great opportunity that I, I decided it was worth taking. So I went for it.
1: And were you serving on the QE2 or serving on different liners?
0: So I served on Queen Mary two um, for a few contracts. I did a lot of transatlantic uh, and world voyages on there, and then served on a variety of other ships as well. Some down in uh, Australia.
1: Oh, amazing! I'm
0: working around the South Pacific. I've worked in uh, Alaska, um, Caribbean, around. Uh, the sipping out to hawaii mexico you know you name it and i've been lucky enough to go there probably. So, very
1: exciting times um, what are the main challenges or the main differences that, that people might not necessarily be aware of of being a doctor on a ship versus being a doctor shoreside what are the biggest things that that, that you kind of took from it
0: uh, the isolation so okay. the, both in terms of the clinical conduct so you're a small team, um, even on my biggest ships, there would be five of us, two doctors, three or four nurses. Um, and even though you may hear about people being evacuated from ships on a helicopter, you can only do that if you have enough fuel to get a helicopter from wherever it's based, to the ship and back again. So there's only a small amount: of may
1: land have done the Oh there we go. That, that you can,
0: there's only a small amount of, of land that you can actually take a helicopter from. Um, So most of the time, if you're in the middle of the the ocean, it's you. It's what you've got around you and it's your team around you looking after patients who have whatever is going to happen to them, their heart attack, their stroke, uh, whatever is going to happen, happens on board ships.
1: Wow. I mean, what an amazing experience. And I know that after that, you moved from um, being the doctor into being the medical director. So um, and that then that then sort of charted a path slightly for, for some of the more, I guess, commercial facing positions. So just for the, for my benefit, because I don't really know, but also for the benefit of the listeners, what, what, is, that, that, what is that transition like from being a you know, highly qualified senior doctor versus a medical director?
0: It was a really interesting transition for me. As you say, it was a, it was a move into a commercial environment. Um, so whereas many medical director roles will be within a healthcare environment, so you still feel like you are part of that medical infrastructure if you like for for me it was very distinct that i was the doctor in the organisation mm-hmm. um, and so needed to take a very much more pragmatic approach and a, a, come to understand the commerciality come to understand the financial implications of decision making and understand the risk management across a broader sphere than just the patients in front of you so talking about budgets with people and and comparing the importance of putting that budget behind fire suppression work in an engine room versus installing an electronic health record and and actually needing to understand the relative risks of both and that broader impact that it's not just medicine that affects people's lives and that you have to take it in the totality. And I think that stood me in great stead to go back into the NHS at a clinical director level Um, being able to think through the implications of the system of Mm. the decisions that you make. So you're thinking not only of the patients in front of you directly or the patients that might use your service, but also those that are yet to be in your service and how you might need to frame your thinking and your commercial approach to being able to give people better access across the piece and and manage that that financial aspect um, in a way that perhaps is broader than many doctors will have had experience of.
1: So would you, you know, based on that, would you would you be a proponent of of doctors, senior medics moving in and out of the NHS to gain more experience of both sides to be sort of more holistic in their capabilities?
0: Absolutely. And I think one of the other things that's uh, increasingly clear is there's loads of different ways of doing it within the NHS as well. So part of it is that you may not need to go outside the NHS to still get a really different experience from the one you've had. But I think doctors who are interested in it, and clinicians of any kind who are interested in the leadership, moving around the different parts of the system, seeing it from different angles, understanding different pressures is really important for getting that, that well-rounded approach um, mm. and really helps to augment the way you then make decisions thereafter.
1: Yeah, I know that now, well, I think over, I'm not exactly sure when it started, but, you know, I think within the last five or 10 years, the NHS has been really focused on driving um, clinical entrepreneurship, you know, so there's the clinical entrepreneur scheme, there's the, the NIA, which is the NHS accelerator, there's the digital accelerator that Poc Docs on. Was any of that around during that time for you? And if it, if it wasn't, it would have that been something that you would have wanted to do? Would that have been a valid pathway for you or, or not?
0: I think it's a brilliant pathway and I think it's a fantastic set of opportunities now for people coming, coming through the system. It wasn't really there when I was coming through and I guess also I, I took quite an early route out of the nhs when i went and worked within the cruise industry Um, so at that time in my early career i was probably doing something quite different already Um, but i think for those who are very keen to work out how do they make a difference in the system in a different way Mm -hmm. being able to access those kinds of opportunities the fellowships that are available is hugely valuable and you're right the nhs is really trying to promote gaining developing and encouraging fostering incubating those skill sets that are a bit different to the norm that you would acquire when you're developing in your particular clinical pathways?
1: Yeah, I think it's really what you mentioned, which is there's a, a an acceptance that there are so many problems that need to be solved. And that the more aware you are and the more capable you are of solving them beyond your necessarily your very specific skill set, the more valuable you may be to the organisation as a whole, but the more um, fulfilled you as an individual may, be, may, may, be, may become. And I, I wonder whether particularly a result of the pandemic where key workers have been under the cosh for so long that actually having an ability to do something slightly different might be actually um, even more attractive now. I don't know.
0: I think that's a really valuable point. Um, and I think we were seeing it before the pandemic with clinicians, not just doctors, but uh, nurses, physios, other practitioners, Looking to develop more portfolio careers where they do get the opportunity to do the hands on care that they loved and that they went into originally, but also the opportunity to expand and use different skills and, and work more cross functionally and, and build multidisciplinary teams that, that can set out to solve problems. And I think it's so exciting. Mm. And hopefully, that as we've come through the pandemic, we've seen the fruits of some of that as yeah. people really have risen to the challenge, tried different things looked at how they can take a problem, pull it to pieces using different people's skill sets and put it back together in a way that was sustainable. And hopefully that will promote and encourage people to adopt a similar route and make it easier for people to have portfolio approaches so they can do a bit of something and a whole lot of other stuff as well alongside it.
1: Yeah, I know that, we, you know, our clinical advisors talk about, they, they like to talk about how there's been more innovation in the last 12 to 18 months than there has been in, well, more, really more the last 12 months than there has been in, you know, five to 10 years previously within the, within, certainly within primary care anyway.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I think the the innovation and the breadth of that innovation has, has been staggering.
1: Yeah, Um Okay, so what I know that um, Dr. Care Anywhere is very focused obviously on virtual GP appointments, telehealth is also another way of putting it. When did you personally or as well personally and professionally first interact with virtual GP appointments, the telehealth concept? You know, when did you first become aware of that within your professional um, career?
0: So working on board the cruise ships um, was oh, really wow. my, first, my, my first taste of telehealth. So within the cruise industry, our need to be able to get high level support from people when you've got a patient that you just don't know what to do with um, okay. meant that we already had a telephone system in place for seeking advice and, and consultation with people. Um, but if you broaden that out to other parts of the maritime sector where they won't even have a doctor on board, mm. um, that need for being able to get remote medical advice uh, is has been well-documented for a long time. So I think knowing that telemedicine telehealth has been out there, uh, that's been going on for, for decades now. Okay, But it, it's transitioned into what we now see it to be, to be that video, that on-demand, that much more publicly accessible. We'd already started seeing that growth prior to the pandemic, but there's no doubt that the pandemic has really accelerated for people their willingness to interact with healthcare in that way, that desire to have that approach that is perhaps a little bit more consumer-led. Mm. Uh, you know, we're very used to Netflix. We're very used to being able to be fed the sort of things we want to watch, the sort of lifestyle we want to lead by, through the apps, through Amazon, through Netflix, through our interactions with banking. You know, we, we're very used to wanting it when we want it, how we want it, where we want it. And I think we've seen through the pandemic that people have recognised that you can get access to healthcare in the same way through companies like, like Dr. Care Anywhere.
1: Okay, and on that note, how would you, for anyone not familiar with it, how would you describe doctor care anywhere and what what the services are that you offer?
0: So we're very much a healthcare company that's powered by great technology. Uh, So we are a clinical services delivery of virtual primary care. So GP appointments through both video and telephone. Um, But one of the significant things that we've done is start to tie up primary care with secondary care through diagnostics. So patients that have access to our services are able to get diagnostics ordered through their GPs and then have those diagnostics reviewed by a specialist virtually and through that we were able to make a, a primary care management plan for them making sure that every touch point for the patient adds value to the patient mm. not just value into the system a lot of the time that we we see uh, through the healthcare system you have appointments for things where you come away knowing that you've now got to have another appointment but the appointment mm. itself didn't necessarily add much to what you understood about yeah. your particular problem or what you needed to do. Yeah. So adding real value to patients at every touch point is something that we feel is so important. So joining up that primary and secondary care, bringing them both closer to the patient, that's really where we're taking the direction of digital healthcare, rather than just a pure virtual general practice model.
1: Mm. Okay. And so um, primary care, I think everyone's probably quite familiar with that. That's, you know, GP, GP services. How would you define secondary care for anyone that's not completely familiar with that term?
0: The se- so I would describe it as the, the specialist services. So it's the services that you would ordinarily go to a hospital for, seeing okay. consultants who are specialists. Um, we talk sometimes about tertiary care as well being that super specialist area where you might need to go to a central regional unit for some very specialised care. Okay. But if you think about what you might go to your local, what used to be called the district general hospital, so your, your local town hospital, mm. that would be secondary care. Okay. And so we're, we're linking together that community-based GP practice type care mm-hmm. with that hospital based care and, and linking it together to, to ensure that patients can get the information they need that they might ordinarily get out of secondary care, but actually yeah. pull that closer to them more into primary care than they may have experienced before.
1: OK, and how does that transition works? So I think that that's really interesting. And that is a complete innovation on what was previously a very static, you know, um, I meant more in general for the industry, which was more have a GP appointment over your phone or over your tablet that GP, like you say, may prescribe something or they may say, actually, you need a referral to somebody else. But you, so you may end up leaving that appointment with more work to do and not necessarily an answer to your solution. But what it sounds like there is that you've kind of joined it up. So how does that sort of work in reality? Could you could you walk us through a particular you know, example, potentially? Yeah.
0: So perhaps you'd have a, a patient that might have back pain um, and they will have an appointment with one of our GPs. And their symptoms will be gone through. They'll look for any particular worrying signs, what we might call red flags. Mm. Uh, And as long as there's none of that, then we would direct patients um, directly into imaging. So we'll organise them to go to an imaging centre near them uh, if there are some particular bloods that are needed. We've got protocols that have been written together with specialists in the field. So spinal surgeons in the case of a back pain, uh, as well as primary care doctors. So those images, any blood test can be organised straight away. So the patient is going from their virtual general practice appointment mm. into a diagnostic centre to have their imaging, have their blood test done. And then those images and the results are coming straight back to us. We're then sending them in the cloud to a specialist. So in this case, a spinal surgeon in the cloud. Mm. who will review all those results and write a management plan. And if we take the, the average back pain person, they may well have a journey that would ordinarily say you go to your gp you're then mm-hmm. referred to a, to an orthopedic surgeon you see yeah. your orthopedic surgeon they say you need to have an mri scan you go and have an mri scan you go back to your orthopedic surgeon and they say yeah there's nothing i need to operate on go back to your gp they yeah. might want to consider physio what we're doing is cutting out those bits of noise to yeah. say that actually what the gp can then sit you down with in your second virtual general practice appointment is to say we've reviewed your imaging the consultant specialist has reviewed this, their advice, their management plan is that we should refer you into physio. So now the referral you get is straight into physio, straight yeah. into the activity that's actually going to add value
1: to you. And that that's makes total sense to me. I mean, that sounds like a significant improvement on, you know, and there's lots of, we've had a few people on the show, different areas, you know, um, like rare diseases and, and and certain kind of things like PCOS, where uh, there's that same sort of pattern of, repeated referrals to try and track down what the problem is and people get shunted around and it's sort of an average of seven appointments and things like that. But, um, you know, that sounds like a, a, a massive improvement and presumably that where well, it sounds like that that's done in partnership or integration with the NHS. That's not a private, that's not a private operation or is it private? So
0: it is. So we're, we're incredibly lucky that most of our end users um, are people who will have an insurance package that okay. includes our services um, or their employers will have purchased our package, and, and for our insured customers, then they have access to this service, so it 's okay. all entirely managed um, off the the NHS through private providers that we 're able to have contracts with, so we can make that a really slick journey, and every touch point adds value yeah. that improves the experience for the patient, but there 's no getting away; it also has an economic benefit, so whichever system you put it in, mm-hmm. if you have needless touch points, it costs more. So yeah. by improving this, we, we can demonstrate that we can make 20% savings on the cost of your average journey by being able to improve it in this way.
1: Right. I, I, I think it makes total, total sense. Have you had any, um, have there been any kind of obstacles to the, rolling that out? Because I know that sometimes, particularly within healthcare, things that seem obvious and make a lot of sense sometimes don't necessarily, you know get implemented for various reasons that you may not necessarily realise until you start to do it. So have there been any of those kind of things involved in that?
0: Our biggest challenge came from COVID-19. So we launched the service. The service had always been planned to be launched in April of last year. Uh, and the, the timing coincided exactly with the NHS um, very rightly needing to utilise private services to augment the services it was it was using to deal right. with COVID-19. So that availability of a private network of diagnostic providers, that availability of specialists to be able to review the services was more limited. So we took it a bit more gently, uh, the, the implementation <laughs> and, and the roadmap. Yeah. And we're really lucky that we're now starting to see things open up. So as okay. as the rest of the country starts to... To get back on its feet again, we're also seeing private providers being able to make more capacity available into the private system uh, and through that being able to increase the number of people that were able to put through these journeys.
1: Great. So um, if you wouldn't mind, would you mind kind of walking us through how somebody, a person can, can, sign up to your services, then what happens and how, like, a, what, what's the kind of, what well, there's probably not one average user journey, but w- how would you describe someone's experience from the minute they, you know, so to speak, walk up to your door to the point where they end up using your services?
0: Yeah, so we try to make our services as available and accessible to as many people as we can. So the platform's available on web-based, but it's also iOS and Android-based, so you can use it on phone, tablet, or desktop computer. Uh, as i said at the beginning we use video and telephone so if people aren't so comfortable with video then they they can use it as a telephone consultation. but we have seen a real shift in the last 12 months from people moving much more towards video i Mm. think as everyone's got used to being able to do meetings through through video we've all become a little bit more comfortable with that
1: i would think so i mean it's been a sea change you know there's no i mean we I i was saying to someone the other day um my wife had a baby in in november and um you know He's been on uh, God knows how many Zoom calls, which before the pandemic was, was was a big no-no. I mean, that would just never, you would not have that. You, you That would be a big kind of um, faux pas in a business meeting to have a little baby kind of perched on your lap. But now it doesn't matter, you know, which I think is a good thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you're right that that sea change behavior we, we're absolutely seeing embedding in the way people interact with with our service. Uh, so you can come up to our front door through any of those medium web. Android uh, or iOS, Uh, and then you can book your appointment with your GP direct from there. So you you sign up to our service uh, through either a subscription, which you can pay for, you can uh, join that through through the website, or because you'll have been given a code through your insurer or through your employer that gives you access. And then once you're uh, registered, you'll be encouraged to verify your identity. So it's really important that we know you are who you are. Um, that we know who we're talking to because we're creating a, a healthcare record and we're yeah. really proud of the fact that we share nearly 90% of our records with people's GP but oh, that's done cool. with consent so people who have an interaction with us will not be asked to consent for their information to go back to their GP so that the GP has a copy of that in the master record um, so and so it really that, joins up their healthcare experience
1: and that's a, is that integrated with their email system or their EMR
0: yeah, so, so we're able to integrate program. through uh, some of the NHS platforms to be able cool. to send documentation through that's automatically if the, if the practice on the other end is signed up to the same.
1: That, that, that's fantastic. That was one of the questions I had, which was, you know, if someone uses you, is there a duplication and things go missing? But no, it's all synced up.
0: Yeah, we cool. think that's really important
1: for good quality
0: yeah. care and, and for safe care to join things up as much as we can. So we're also really lucky that we're able to work with the NHS to get access to the patient's record and that's a piece Mm -hmm. of work that's going on at the moment so that we'll be able to do a lookup of that information at the time of consultation as well as being able to send information back to the GP. Oh awesome. That that visibility, that transparency runs through everything that we want to do with our patients.
1: That would be amazing so the GP will be able to effectively you know in real time search for your record prior or during the appointment so they might have your records right there and then.
0: Yeah absolutely. Wow that would be amazing. Yeah so we we think that's a, a really Key enabler of good quality, safe, effective care. So, so a patient will vet, will verify with us so that we do get that uh, fluidity uh, around the system, assuming that the patient's happy to consent for that, and then they can just book an appointment whenever they want. So, you can go onto the platform, you can then request an appointment at a given time. Uh, you can choose your time. You can choose the doctor that you might want to see, or whether you want to see a male doctor or a female doctor by preference, mm-hmm. or just use the next available. Um, And we normally have uh, appointments available within a few hours of people looking it up. Uh, Mm -hmm. And we have appointments throughout the day uh, and into the night. So we have the availability of the platform 24-7. So once a patient has then booked their appointment, they'll get uh, an email to remind them that they've booked it and to confirm that they've booked. They may be asked to provide some additional information. So we have a team of triage practitioners So you'll be asked as part of your booking journey is to give some information about why you want your appointment. And so, for example, you have said you've got a rash you want to talk about. Then one of our triage practitioners may send you a text to say, could you upload a photo into your account? So the account is where all your information is stored. And again, we think that's really important that you have transparency and visibility of everything that we know about you. So your clinical record is, is totally open for you, for you to be able to see. You can see what information you're sharing. administration side of that but you Mm. can also see the notes from your gp so when you have your appointment uh, you'll have a reminder text to say come on in your Mm. appointments in 10 minutes you have the opportunity to check that your technology is working properly and then the gp will join you in a virtual consultation room where you're able to see and speak directly with the the gp if you've chosen to do it by video and obviously Mm. just hear them if you're doing it by telephone Mm -hmm. the gp can then take you through it all the things that GP would normally do, but where we really think we add value is that our GP appointments are about 20 minutes long. So we have a really long period of time to get to know our patients, to understand exactly what their problem is, hear their concerns, really work out what's the best thing for them to do. And there's something hugely beneficial about just having the time to be heard. And that's Mm -hmm. a lot of the positive feedback we get from patients, that they do feel that they've been listened to by the GP, that they've understood the problem, and therefore the, the solution feels like it's a much closer fit than perhaps they've experienced
1: before because 20 minutes is that roughly twice what is sort of allocated for a for an nhs sort of face-to-face appointment
0: yeah so often in the nhs it's about seven minutes at the moment so you're looking at nearly
1: three times the length yeah and was that something that the doctor care anyway has always done is that just been is that always something that was done from the beginning as a kind of a uh, like you said a sort of a you know um, a mission if you like to give people that much more time to talk about their issues
0: We've always wanted to give people time to talk about their issues. Uh, we used to offer 15 minute appointments and okay. we decided that 20 minute appointments was was really important to get that quality of experience and the quality of the documentation that ought to go with mm. it. So that when a patient leaves that appointment, they can yeah. also look at their notes and they'll understand exactly what went on in that consultation. They will see the same notes that the GP has written that are in the back end. So, so it's, I, it's totally transparent.
1: I think that's fascinating. Yeah. Um, because what that's, I mean, sl- slightly tangentially, that's one of the reasons why that was behind why we started POCTOC, which is, you know, we're, we're, we're offering the ability for people to give themselves blood tests and do risk assessments on their cardiovascular health and diabetes health just with, with an app on their smartphone and one of our tests. And the reason why we did that was because one of the reasons we, we were quite focused on on the idea that people should be able to see their own data you know their own biological data their own health data and have access to that when they wanted it whereas what what sometimes happens um you know within within the nhs and things like that is that you go in and you might have a a blood test done but you wouldn't necessarily even see those results or a copy of them you might just get said oh they're fine or "Oh, something's elevated but you don't have that you don't have access to it on an ongoing basis so I, i completely understand why um you've done that with the medical records i think that that's really really smart actually
0: Thank you. I, and we think it's really valuable for patients to have both, to, to make sure that they have access to all the information. It's their information. It's about them. They it's, should, their it's, it's their health. It's their it's, health. It's for them to work out what good looks like. Yeah. Um, but uh, team that up with the right information to understand it. So yes. we've probably all had blood tests where something has been flagged by the laboratory system as being abnormal, mm-hmm. but it might only be a smidgen out. Yeah. And a doctor will look at it and go, oh, they're fine. And you're left with that dis- dissonance around, yeah, but it, it's flagged as red. Mm. So surely it's not fine. Yep. The doctor knows from their experience that in the broad scheme of things, these are the reasons why the parameters can sometimes be a little bit out. There's a range of normal, but normal can still be outside there. Yep. But we shortcut that conversation. And I think it's it's so valuable for patients to be able to understand the facts around their information. Mm. And So you see it on your phone, your watches, you know, all these different wearables that we now have. more data points and increasingly the information to help you understand those data points in the context of you and your life and what you need to take away
1: from it yeah i completely agree i think everything that the data needs to be put in a context um and that is one of the real value points of 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 um avoiding giving people data just in, in and of itself you know and having that data provided in a way which provides the context provides some security and some advice and, and actually some sort of direction thereafter so that the person doesn't go back to Dr. Google and start, you know, scaring themselves. Right.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I think it, it's so important that people feel empowered, but it ought to be action orientated. So if you have come to PopDoc and, and wanted a, a test done, then you came for a reason. Let's make sure that they get that information and then they know what to do with it next. They they feel that there's been an outcome to it that is useful to them that helps them to optimize their health in the way that works for them, that is meaningful to them. I think that's it's so important. Medicine tends to be quite patriarchal, quite Mm. the doctor knows best. Let's let's we have a model of what good looks like, what fit and healthy looks like. But actually, we're all different. We all have different goals. We all have different challenges and good looks different to each of us. and And we should be allowed to be able to map our health in the same way. And I thought it was really interesting listening to your podcast last week um, with uh, with Dr. Nick from um... Unmind. Unmind, thank you. Um, talking about the biopsychosocial model. Yes, that, that's absolutely... that was a new
1: word. That was a new word for me, but it, yeah. I, I loved it. It was a great word.
0: And it, it's absolutely right. So the biopsychosocial model is is not brand new, but the idea of being able to combine people's biology—so what's the physical side of things with their psychology, their, their mind, their emotions, their, their mental well-being, with the social context, the yeah. setting in which that patient is, that person is. It's just so important. And I think when you when you walk through the steps of that, it's a, it's a bit of a no-brainer that, yeah, well, I am, I am the product of all three of those things. Mm-hmm. And what we're really trying to do at DCA is to say, well, that is important, and we shouldn't keep trying to separate them. It is really important that health be seen, in that spectrum, that it's all things around the physical, the emotional, and the mental health, and the context for that individual, where they're sitting, what they want to achieve, what good looks like to them.
1: So let's talk about that. We can jump ahead. I have, I've, got, I think I've got too many questions for you because I find your business absolutely <laughs> fascinating. So let's jump ahead because I know that that you made a big announcement around around that that concept, which is the integration, or you know, the, producing a complementary service for both physical and and mental well being. So. Tell us about that, because that that sounds really groundbreaking.
0: Yeah, we're really proud of the work that we're doing in this area because everybody, again, it predates the pandemic. Uh, The fact that there is there's not enough resource to go around to help with mental illness. We know that there's so much that people can do for themselves to help prevent them get to a point where -hmm. they feel unwell and uh, disempowered by what's going on for them. But we also think it's really important to recognise how intertwined physical and, and mental health are, um, and we don't really have a great language for it. No. So we, we talk about mental health, and it's good to talk about mental health. And there's an assumption around physical health, but almost by separating them out into those two things, we're, we're further defining that they are separate. Yeah. But if you think about, if we take our person with back pain again, let's imagine that. Uh, it's a gentleman who's been working in the city for years and uh, they're developing back pain. But when they go home, their back pain is so bad that they don't feel that they can sleep in, in the same bedroom as their wife anymore because they're tossing yep. and turning. So they're now sleeping in the spare room. It's not so comfortable. Their marriage is suffering because of it. They can't connect in the way that they were. So what may be a physical problem, the back pain, is absolutely causing an impact on their emotional well-being and the social context you need to understand if you're going to tackle getting that person back to what needs to be right for them. Because they may not totally solve the back pain problem, but if the goal is to get back into bed with your wife, Mm. then actually that's a really achievable goal, and you can work through to deliver that very differently when you understand that that's the goal. Yeah. Often hear people talk about, I just want to be able to pick up my grandkids. Yeah,
1: yeah. if
0: that's your goal, let's work to that.
1: Let's not yeah. work to I want to be pain free. Yeah. So the, work, the, 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 be... yeah, the goal itself, because I think this is what we talked about with Nick last week, which was really I thought it was a really interesting way of, of phrasing. It was that, that there's um, there's a lot of outcomes that aren't diagnostic outcomes in a traditional medical sense, which is exactly what you just said, which is like yeah. my outcome. My idea of a good outcome is being able to pick up my grandson, granddaughter. Yes. You know, that's not that's really different to some medical diagnostic version of whatever that person's problem might be.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So with the work that we're doing at DCA, we are bringing in more tools that can help people to support themselves and their, their okay. emotional well-being. Uh, and we've uh, teamed up with COA Health uh, to implement and integrate their foundations app into our, our system. Okay. We've teamed up with uh, COOTH. Um, oh, yeah also spoken with before uh, yes. so we've uh, put their quell platform into ours for, for adults so that you've got that peer community support around your your mental health and your emotional well-being and then we've improved our training for our um, gp workforce and also provided them the opportunity for a longer consultation so a forty not ask minutes.
1: yeah i was gonna ask sorry go on
0: So after you've had your 20 minute consultation, the doctor may identify that you'd benefit from even more time talking to a GP. And the real focus around that is to further explore your context and and the mental health history, but also to start setting some goals. So understanding what's important to you And, and significantly for us in all of this is this is not something that is there for people who simply wish to say, I think I have a mental health problem. We're saying if you've got a health problem. Yeah approaching all these different facets can really add value and improve your your time to to healing. And by having these different components available to people, we feel they can move in and out of self-support, primary health guided support. And of course, we can still refer into secondary care. We can refer directly into therapy. We can augment uh, people's care journeys by making it easier for them to understand what they need and when they need it. And by teaming up with these different providers, we can bring that all into one space we're really excited about what might be coming down down track. We're looking forward to being able to also add digital therapy into our platform as a solution that we'll be able to provide.
1: Okay, for for digital mental health therapy or digital physical therapy? Okay.
0: Digital mental health therapy to begin with, but also moving into digital physical therapy as well. Again, recognising that parity is needed in both sides.
1: Makes sense. And so um, obviously there's a range of different digital mental health platforms, providers, you know, companies how how did you go about sort of filtering all of the possibilities down to what you ultimately chose to do because each one of them has a slightly different approach a slightly different philosophy you know slightly different focus how how did you work through all of that to, to figure out your direction
0: so I think our due diligence process helps us to look at understanding the basis for people's uh, care delivery. So when we're thinking about the mental health space, looking at what the scientific evidence that a particular tool has, understanding the the basis for for the claims being made and being able to demonstrate that they are legitimate. Mm. It is a really new field, digital therapeutics. And so expecting everybody to have randomised controlled trials, which might be the gold standard in care, uh, is probably a little early. But are the providers seeking to head in that direction mm-hmm. are the claims they're making ones that they can provide evidence to support or are they based off assumptions of sort of general knowledge right. um, is there something sitting a bit more behind it looking for values of the, the partners you know do they also believe in the biopsychosocial model do they think that that whole person approach to health is important because that values match needs to to, to really fit mm. and ultimately is this a journey that a person coming in through Dr Care Anywhere still feels that they're receiving that same level of care, that same level of knowledge and empowerment, whatever different parts of the service that they might be accessing so that it doesn't feel jarring because we're very aware that the system is fragmented. It's really difficult to know what you should go for. So Mm -hmm. what we feel is is good for patients and good for people who are exploring their help is to feel like they, they feel grounded. They feel that they can trust us to have built a network around them, to put the resources around them that prevent them needing to go to Dr. Google. They can come to us and they can trust that what they get through us is consistent and is applicable and is of high quality and well-governed.
1: That makes sense. I I think that makes total sense. And has there been... I know we've talked about the pandemic sort of more general, in general terms, but what was the impact on your delivery of services during that period? And did, have you seen a change or, or an increase in demand for those sort of more mental health related services for, from your offering as a result?
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we saw a dramatic increase uh, in the number of consultations that we were serving through last year, um, as I think everybody who was working in digital health care did as people were trying to work out where they could access the care they needed. And we did a lot of work with our partners to help people understand that they do have access to the service. So at times when the NHS was really under the cosh, as you described earlier, that people knew that there were other avenues that they could explore that did not take away from the value that the NHS brings. So we weren't wishing to describe or make anybody feel that the, the NHS wasn't there for them, but that perhaps we could help to augment that service for them. Right. So we saw huge growth. And in that, we saw a real change in the way people were using our service, particularly. Okay. If we recognize that a lot of our uh, service users come from an insured background. So oftentimes, uh, the way we were uh, initially set up, we would be looking at patients who were essentially looking for referrals into into secondary care. Okay. Uh, But what we saw through the pandemic was a much greater use of the service for primary care purposes. So coming to us as the sole need for their care. So four right. more prescriptions, for their chronic care management. Mm. And in that we saw a lot more anxiety related. So even if people weren't coming to the platform describing symptoms of anxiety, of unhappiness, um, we identified their physical health symptoms were also really intertwined with that picture of, of the difficulty they were experiencing mm. through their journey through, um, through lockdown and through the pandemic more broadly. So talking to people more about grief, about loss, be that about physical loved ones, be that about their jobs, their status, so many other other reasons. So they might have presented because they're feeling run down, but that conversation quickly moves into that more mental health space. So really honing in on that importance of you don't need to know why you're not well. You just need to know you don't feel right. And you need to know where you can go to to get the tools to help you get back on track with where you want to be. And so we're seeing that uptick in people wanting that kind of service and finding that they can get that through DCA.
1: And that, and, and, and the clinicians, I'm guessing, but I don't know, are they fairly in favour of that? Because it means they have more time to spend with patients to talk to them and to do what they, what they love or what they're trained to do. Is that, would that be fair?
0: Yeah, I, very much so. So we're incredibly lucky. We have a, a great workforce of, of clinicians that work with us. And the vast majority of them will work in the NHS as well. So they'll be part-time with us and and part-time in the NHS. Mm. And what we tend to find is that they enjoy the time they have with us because they get to practice the skills that they're really well trained for with slightly less time pressure, with a slightly different group of people with different resources at their their disposal. And that gives them a huge boost that they can then take back into the work that they do within their NHS practice. So they, they feel that virtuous benefit Of working in a different setting and it gives them the boost to go back also when we're looking at things like our the training that we put in for our mental health program we get lots of reports from our gps that they're then taking what they've learned through us and applying that in all the consultations they do whether they are deliberately with us or whether they're back in the nhs and being able to, to think about the context think about the social setting for patients and it's it's stuff that they've been long trained in, as I said, this isn't anything mm. new but sometimes you just need a bit of a refresher you yeah. just need an opportunity to be reminded of why it's so great and, and why it is so useful for patients yeah. and the time that, that the GPs have being able to use that with us mm. means that when they then go back into their NHS practice, even if it is short appointments they can still find ways of making use of those, those skills and, and being able to bring that to life in any patient that they see and I think that's that's really important and it's really rewarding for us as a company yeah, to be able to support clinicians in
1: that way. I, I can imagine. So on that on that kind of note, how do you um, express or talk about the your your um, the, the value that DCA, Dr. Care Anywhere brings to um, patients or users as well as clinicians? Do you have some way of sort of expressing that or any metrics that you that you look at that, that you can share?
0: So this year we have implemented our, our patients report card and our clinicians report card so we we feel that that measuring how people feel about the services that we provide and about the services that they are delivering as clinicians is really important so we're very excited to have been able to put together um, a dashboard and and to put together metrics it's early days in our use of it we've been looking at metrics with regard to patients for a long time you know we we have an nps score of greater than 80 we have high scores on, on the app stores um, great reports and reviews on trust pilot, but we wanted to take that deeper and actually understand what is it that they love about what they're getting from us and that, that's where our, our report cards come in so not just being able to give ourselves a pat on the back but always striving to work out how can we do better challenging ourselves to understand more deeply and then being able to to make sure we're delivering that both for, for people who use our service uh, on the consumer end of things our patients but also on those who are delivering it and make sure that our clinicians know that we really care about their their opinions and that they are well set up to deliver an amazing service for us.
1: And have you come across any um, anything surprising any any positive but surprising feedback of things or features or aspects that people loved or were extremely positive about which you hadn't necessarily thought would be so popular or so you know um, would get would get so much positivity?
0: I think less so about that we were surprised by uh, more that it was really useful to have that validation. Mm. Uh, and the, two of the biggest areas are access, the ease of access to being able to use the platform, the ease of being able to deliver a service okay. through our platform and, and the way our technology is built, and speed of access. Uh, and that both of those things come over really clearly, that, that people do want to move to this model where they can get their healthcare when they want it, in the yeah. way they want it, and get the right care first time. And I think there's a lot of information and, and sort of a lot of people putting together, you know, white papers and, and talking about access is changing, the consumerization of healthcare. Mm. And I think those are all really valid points. But when you have it validated by your own group of people who are able to, to say, yeah, those things matter to us, yeah. um, then it, it really brings home that it's an important journey that we're on.
1: Well, I mean, everyone, I mean, I know that there's people who access your services via a a company plan, but even those people have chosen to come to you and opt in and sign up for that service as part of that plan. But particularly anyone that comes up directly, they've chosen to to work with you. They've chosen you to deliver their care, which is a huge, um, yeah, it's hugely positive.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And you know we have more than 2 million people who have access to our services through our, through our partners, uh, of which about half a million of them have, have activated their accounts so they are fully signed up and ready to right. go and have an appointment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know that the vast majority then will go on to have an appointment right. within a few weeks of, of signing up to the platform. Mm-hmm. And once they've used the, the platform, we know they'll come back and use it again. And yeah. that's a big shift through the, the pandemic, that, that that desire to use us as, as their first stop first point and only stop for, for their primary health care needs. And as we can expand that into secondary health, uh, it's, it's just going to add so much value to people.
1: Do you think that there's any have you have you heard anyone say that, oh, I'm choosing to use doctor care anywhere because I feel like that means it's it means I'm no longer a burden to the actual NHS. Very much so. So
0: especially during the first lockdown, that was a lot of the messaging we were hearing from patients, that they were grateful there was a service because they didn't want to burn the NHS, but that they were worried uh, and they they were able to be relieved of their healthcare worries by talking through with somebody. Mm. Uh, And I I think we'll all learn so much out of the pandemic, uh, Mm -hmm. but being able to give people accurate information, the right information at the right time, they won't always need to be with a consultation with a doctor, um, but being able to make sure that that quality information, trusted resources are available for people so that they don't sit and worry, but act when it's necessary and act early mm. are really key things that I think we've learned.
1: We right. knew before
0: the pandemic, the pandemic has really reinforced that.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so as, as Chief, Chief of Clinical Innovation, which is a great title, what are um, some of the innovations that you've um, either seen within Dr Care Anywhere or outside of Dr Care Anywhere in the last sort of 12 months where you've been particularly impressed by the innovation?
0: So I think there's so many pockets of of fantastic innovation going on. There's some great new apps. There's some some great new resources, uh, ones that are looking at how you can put remote monitoring into the hands of a patient. So how can we actually help keep people out of hospital when I think about my clinical practice and how much just needed a measurement of this or, or just needed that okay and there's a lot that you can do virtually mm. but there's so much more you can do if you just have access to a few more metrics right. and I think the innovations that are making those truly scalable and, and easily interoperable, those mm. are really key key phrases I would look for in, in innovation at the moment in this space so that you can integrate them into our platforms, into other platforms, so that information flow moves confidently uh, and securely around so that you, the clinician can then make decisions based on accurate and up-to-date information, but not just in terms of the, the consultation, but blood pressures or weight or height. That kind of information adds so much value, but you're then seeing the opportunity to have stethoscopes that patients can have in their homes and transmit information that you can teach a patient how to, to do some of these interventions that would ordinarily have been only the remit of a trained clinician. Right. Blood taking that you can do at home painlessly, easily, and confident that the results are meaningful. I think those are the innovations that I'm, I'm really interested in seeing as they, they come out to the fore and then how you can build those into good programs of care mm-hmm. rather than just being seen as a gimmick of something yeah. that you can do and have, but doesn't necessarily add value into your, your wider journey. Yeah. And then I think from a, a DCA perspective, I think where we're going with understanding the importance of bringing healthcare closer to the patient, both physically, but also thinking about self-care, and peer support mm-hmm. is, is really key enablers of good health and of helping to drive patients to a place where they feel much more empowered to manage their health their way. Uh, and then surround that with great clinical, well governed services. Mm. Um, I think that clarity that we're getting as, as we bring this together to move away from just general practice consultations, that transactional, acute, reactive services into proactive, preventative services, I, I think that's a uh, a whole of the conversation that we yeah, had.
1: I mean, with that I mean that's that's why we started Pocdoc was was we felt like by allowing making it easier for people to monitor their own blood values and have their risk assessed of these various cardiovascular disease and diabetes and then be connected with follow on care directly using that data that you would be able to prevent more people or lower the risk associated with those things. So coming in in that prevention piece and understanding about how and when you come in what you need to do to make that person or encourage that person to change their behavior i think is is going to be absolutely critical
0: yeah absolutely um it it just doesn't make any sense to not bring the care earlier on in the journey help people to to live their best life um from early on and that means understanding the behaviors that drive that understanding how you can influence people how you can give them the information that helps them make what's the right decision for them what's the consequences of it and I think that's a really exciting place to be able to take digital health so yeah. that we can actually make some really significant inroads into how we can change the healthcare systems.
1: Yeah, I think prevention is really the sort of the next big, you know, frontier on some of this stuff as to how we bring a lot of that care more more earlier. Um, and the NHS has done a huge amount of work, obviously, with the NHS health checks and a whole bunch of other things. But, um, you know, it's going to be really exciting because there's so many digital health or you know, innovative health platforms, companies out there that are focused on that same thing in various different ways. So, yeah, I think the next you know, two to five years is going to be pretty fascinating in that area.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, and again, tying it back into what we're doing with our platform, our data being transparent to patients if you bring that preventative health data in as well, you, people can see the in, impact what they're doing is having. When we can get to the point where we can identify people are starting to go a little bit off track by some tiny changes mm-hmm. in their wearable data or yeah. in the way that they're shopping, for example, and bring that in a way that we can then highlight to them, it looks like you're having a bad day, you've just bought three chocolate bars today. <laughs> think, you know, that's, that's where we can get really personal with healthcare. Interact really early on and, and made some significant changes. I think it's it's a really exciting field to be yeah. in. Yeah,
1: and so is um, Doctor Care Anywhere. Are you going? To, is your aim to combine the clinical expertise that you've already built up with more of the broader healthcare health? Um, you know, sort of someone interacting with Doctor Care Anywhere for their whole health ecosystem.
0: Absolutely, yeah. That's definitely that's where we're heading. In bringing the whole thing closer to the patient through our forum as a, as a means to be able to to come to DCA and get all your your 360
1: care everything that you need in the one place trusted cool great well look on that note Kate thank you so much for coming on the show and I think your business is fantastic and I'm so so excited to see what's going to come up for you guys in the next 12 to 24 months so I really appreciate you coming on the show um, and thank you to everyone for listening
0: thank you You ain't got it by now, listen to me,
1: bring it in, if you are alive, I know you ain't reached your best yet, you got more, you could do more, you can see more, you can be more, all right? Right now,
0: you should feel invincible.
1: where your focus goes your energy flows are you hearing me